0: Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, please. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, the message entitled, The Two Shall Be One Flesh. The following ad occurred in a London newspaper. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter coal. long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. The ad was signed by Sir Ernest Shackleton, Antarctic explorer. Thousands responded instantly to the call. They were ready to sacrifice all for the elation of adventure and uncertain honor. Should we do any less for our marriages? There is no higher calling than to be a husband or a wife. Because from that you go to a parent. And then hopefully you've built a good foundation and a good first floor. And then you be a grandparent. And if you still live after that, then you've got a third floor. Great grandparent. <laughs> but the one is dependent on the preceding level. Paul has commanded the man to be one with his wife from three points of reference as we saw last time from verse 31 to 33. The plan of God for man and the institution of marriage in verse 31. The parallel teaching of oneness in marriage in verse 32. And the principle of mutual submission in marriage in verse 33. Now we want to come back and we want to focus on a very practical issue. The boundaries. They're often ignored too often. By married couples here in verse thirty-one. I want you to think of three concentric circles. The outer circle is one of your, your friends. So you have the bullseye, then you have the next one. Uh, the great, great, the outside one is your friends. Then you have the family in the center. Then you have the bullseye, you and your wife. They're all concentric. They don't overlap. They don't cross over. Um, And there's a distance between all of them equally. This will help to solidify protection, privacy, and also closeness by choosing who those individuals are. Our text reveals that both husband and wife take up the closest union that will ever exist between two people. So... All other relationships are secondary and subordinate to the marriage relationship. Is that clear? Too many Christians do not understand that. And they mess up their marriages. Both individuals leave father and mother. Both individuals are joined to each other. Both individuals become one flesh. Not a temporary trial union, but a lifelong commitment until death. That's what the Bible teaches about marriage. Let me read here verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. All right. Let's think of those three concentric circles. The circle of friends, outside. Circle of relatives, inside. Husband and wife the circle, the bull'seye. and that's the way we're going to approach them. Let's begin with the circle of friends. This is the outer circle. It's concentric again. When a man or a woman agree to marry, they have to recognize past and present friendships and acquaintances are last in their priority list in view of the family. All other relationships are subordinate to one's husband. And one's wife. Particularly past boyfriends, past girlfriends, fiance, fiancees, whatever. You've forsaken all. You don't keep their phone numbers. You don't say they're your friends. (laughs) It's gone. This is not to be a control freak but the exercise of good common sense. Often marriages are hurt and even broken up because the place is given to a friend that is higher in priority than the mate. At first it doesn't bother you, but then it gets to you. They continue to live as singles while being married, thinking they are not accountable to their mate. That's a big mistake. Now, you know that the world lives like that. They get married and they live like they're not married. That's not marriage. They come and go as they please and cannot understand why their mate is having a difficult time with it. They spend more time with their friends rather than their mate. I never understood that. Why I got married? Why are you getting married? Boys' night out, girls' night out, what's that? It's cultural. Doesn't mean you can't go out with your friends when you want, or him. But what's this boy's night out and girl's night out? You're married. (laughs) The man typically has certain failures. His friends um, may always be over to watch football, basketball, whatever. If you're a sport freak, you know, that's what happens. And the wife's always being the kind of maid for them. He sets uh, the example of disrespect sometimes for his wife by how he speaks to her in front because, you know, you become more casual the more people come over, right? Let your guard down. Allowing his friends sometimes to poke fun at her or say anything and causing her to feel humiliated, sometimes dishonored even in love. It happens. Now, I'm not talking about not being able to have a good time and joking around, but I hope you know those lines, right? We all understand them. We all know when we cross over them. And uh, as soon as we do, we need to say, you know what, I'm terribly sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's it. Sometimes he um, has the need to have others with him at all times, invading privacy. In other words, he can't go anywhere alone, he always has to have a friend or someone else. Um, There's always a third wheel. He's not satisfied, it seems, to be just with his wife alone. All these are red flags. But these flags are bad because that's after you're married. The wife becomes resentful in time against her husband and the other individuals sometimes. Or he will do anything for his friends but not his wife. Others come first. He's good neighbor Sam. Need a tree trimmed, car jumped. Whatever, he's there. But when his wife wants the leaky faucet fixed or the garage painted or something like that, he doesn't, He can't understand it. It's only been 15 years since you've been in the house. Hmm. His friends and others are placed on a higher priority than his wife. That's no good. Now, when friends disrupt or overstep their boundaries into the relative or the immediate family circle, um, she should be the first to remind him that he's the head of the home and he needs to get things in priority. Or vice versa. Because you're there to check each other. The greater tragedy is when this is the case with ministers or elders who serve in the church for their qualification is not their degrees or their personality, but the, their home. First Timothy 3, Titus 1. And again, I hope you understand I'm not talking about not having a sense of humor. As Christians, we should have the best time together. But there's always respect. There's always those boundaries. Jesus said they strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. Matthew twenty three, twenty four. So it's easy to teach, but then you've got to live it out too. Sometimes he's negligent in the duties of his home. He has to do everything around the house. Or someone else for her. She mows the lawn, cleans up the oil in the driveway, picks up the mess of the dogs, whatever. Whenever I, I've ever driven down the street when I was younger or now when I'm an old man and I see a woman mowing a lawn, I just go crazy. Now I see a husband and wife out there both in the garden, fine. When you see the woman out there, not the man, Something's wrong. Sometimes he confides his personal problems with friends. And when his wife finds out um, she's humiliated, and rightly so, he's betraying the trust of his mate and hurts the marriage, hurts himself. Privacy is not to be broken between husband and wife unless they both agree to confide in one person that is godly, spiritual. And they both are in agreement. Whether it be a pastor or an elder or a real, real good friend. Okay? But you never go to your parents for your problems. Because they're going to love you more than her. And they're going to love her more than you. (laughs) And once you guys are okay, then they're still mad at you. Simple. Simple. Sometimes the man controls all the finances and business, so the wife is ignorant completely about the bills or anything else. Now, it doesn't mean that a man can't do it, but he needs to communicate what's going on so she understands or at least make preparations. Sometimes the wife knows nothing about the bills, the taxes, the insurance, or what's going to happen if you die, or whatever it is, and, you know, those are real things. His wife's absolutely clueless. And then when he does die, then it's all a crisis, difficult. The woman also has some typical failures. And again, some of these are just some. You can keep the list going. Um, Her friends are always over, showing up early even as he's driving off to work. She allows her privacy to be invaded constantly, just as he. Maybe she always has to have someone. Now, at times, or any time, that friend disrupts or oversteps those boundaries, once again, he has to step in and say, hey, listen. And you don't do it in front of the person or anything else. You do this after they're gone, whatever, and you need to sit down and talk. Hey, you know, it's getting a little too friendly. You know, this is overstepping, this, this, that. We We got to get back on track. It's just wisdom. Sometimes a woman will boast that she's not working because she stays at home, and that's great. But it would be more correct to say that she stays at home while others are at work because she really doesn't do what she's supposed to. It happens sometimes, right? At times a woman um, working out of need is a more faithful homekeeper than the one who stays home. Because she's living under priorities and necessities. She also can allow ungodly friends to influence her thinking contrary to the scriptures. While her husband's away, if she's at home and she's got ungodly friends that are old friends and all that, and um, they start influencing her thinking and her decision-making and her thought process, and um, it, it brings friction within her and her husband. Evil company corrupts good morals, First Corinthians 15 33 says she may become lax also on the responsibilities of the home or the children which is not good I mean there is no job that takes more time than anything else than being a mom it is just horrific it never stops there's just so much now no one needs to live in a museum but no one should live in a zoo either so There's that balance, right? And um, sometimes um, you have so much on your plate, ladies, that, you know, the best thing is to um, um, make sure you you lose your mind. It's better to have a, a dirty house one day than to lose your mind, okay? But if it's every day, then there's a problem, right? So again, common sense balance. You know, children need to be cared for and supervise. If not, then they go wayward. So there has to be someone at home who they're with all the time. What are they doing? Who are they talking to? How much time they spend? Are they on the computer? Is there checks in the computer? Whole different thing than when I grew up, wasn't there. But when I was in the world and I was growing up and parents weren't home and you got out of school, Devil plays. No one's home. It's just that simple. You know, people go out of their way to put up fences around their property to keep strangers and avoid problems from neighbors. And uh, there's gates on those fences at times so that people can come through the gate. But someone else jumps over your wall. and you says, hey, what are you doing? Should we not put these Fences, And then we allow people by permission to come into these relationships. No one can come in by force, right? Again, you as a husband and wife set this up. How much more um, to set the boundaries to the godly relationships God has given us, both in uh, family and friends, because they're valuable. You don't want them to be destroyed or to be ruined, right? You want to protect them. Too often, pressure and fear of Offending people keep couples from setting these boundaries. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight says, "Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. A city without walls is open for destruction. Anybody can come in. You have no way to defend yourself. A failure to do so will only um, undermine the marriage and oneness and friendship." of the husband and wife and the friendships of others. It will ruin them. A failure to protect one's wife from abusive friends destroys oneness and intimacy. It always ends up in the bedroom, ladies and gentlemen. We'll finish with that. One way or the other. The level that friends will be allowed to will differ by your own discretion by your own prayer by your own agreement some will be closer than others because we all have different choices and we all have different personalities and we have the freedom to make those choices who we want to hang out around our husbands wives and children some people i don't want around my children even sometimes family members right you have that privilege that responsibility Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Some will be more acquaintances, while others will be very close friends, at times closer than even family members through the years. But all this takes place by one's own permission, through time tracking together. Ladies and you men, some of you never had a proper example by your own parents. God, by his grace, gives you instructions in the Bible, especially Proverbs, Timothy, Titus. So we're to study. God, by his mercy, provides godly women and men in the church fellowship as examples to help and to teach others. Paul deals with that in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Titus 2, 4 through 8. On Tuesday night, the ladies get together. They they focus the study towards women. And they fellowship. They break down and they make good friendships and everything, good relationships. Um, the other studies. So everything, your, your fellowship, your friends, all should come out of you coming to church. And as God leads you to, to know other people. And, and you make those arrangements because it's just like anything else. You know, you... You moved into a town, you went to school, and then you started talking to somebody, and you had a group of friends, right? How did you do that you you, you were it wasn't on your iPhone you, you talked to people, you met people you you, you liked this one, you didn 't like that one, and you know you chose to spend time with this one, not with that one that 's just the way life is there's no different in the church. Friends are important. But once you are married, you guard and protect your married relationship. There are times when both of you will need time to do some things apart. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it is the rule by so many, and it should not be. You should be together most of the time. Doing things together. Sometimes you have to do things separate, whatever. But usually you're together. When I don't see a wife with her husband all the time or vice versa, that's no good. Particularly coming to the church. But even now, after that. The absence will cause you to um, appreciate each other when you do have to be apart and realize how we can easily take each other for granted. You need to be um, creative in the things that you do with each other Or you fall into boredom and stagnant life, but um, don't try to copy anybody. Today we got a lot of things about marriage and they give you all these things to do and you know, and you try to imitate. Don't be yourself. Love God and you'll be able to love your spouse. The rest will come easy. We have all these books that people write and everything else about. Read the scriptures. Grow in Christ. It'll come. Song of Solomon 2.10 says, My beloved spoke, and he said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. We all know that. When we first started. (laughs) We can understand that. The circle of friends is a boundary that must be set for a healthy oneness in marriage. The second circle is the circle of relatives. That's the second concentric circle working inwards. This circle is the middle concentric circle. And um, it includes in-laws, alias outlaws. That includes me. I fall in that category, in-law. This is very, uh, a very difficult boundary to establish if you have become a Christian and your parents are not Christians. It's real touchy. But you have to ask God for wisdom and courage and tactfulness. The brothers and sisters on both sides, no matter of the family, none of them have the right or business to step into your home. Not her father and mother, not your father and mother, not their brothers and sisters or yours. Nobody steps into your marriage. Without permission. No one. At times relatives make themselves part of the home. And that's no good. The proverb speaks about a person always spending too much time in a home. You yeah? know. No good. There was a mother who wanted a key to her son's home. But the wife was not in agreement. And they went back and forth. She fell invaded. And rightly so. But the son, because he was always a mama's boy. You huh? know. And I uh, gave in to his mom, she had a key and all that and caused big, big problems. A woman was real domineering as a mom. That that, that that hurt that marriage. Things had to get squared away. Men you have to be the heads of your home. You do know how they marry how they marry how they bury uh, mother in laws in Mexico, right? Head first. In case they try to dig their way out. Now, there's a lot of mother-in-law and father-in-law jokes. But there's a reason for that, isn't it? Now, as Christians, we shouldn't have that problem. Because we set those boundaries. You can avoid all those problems. Now, they may not like it. But it's okay. That's their problem. That's not your problem. You do it tactfully, you do it lovingly, you do it biblically, you do it as one, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Families are um, different and they have different upbringing, as you know. Cultures are different. It sometimes can clash with the Christian principles in Scripture. Um. Mexican families, Italian, Filipinos, even black families, sometimes they're a little closer and they're controlled. Many of those are controlled by mothers. You know, it's like that movie that, you know, uh, the, um, what was it, the, um, I forget that, or the Greek something. I think it was a Greek word that. He says, you know, he's the head. He says, yeah, but the neck moves, I'm the neck that moves the head. Okay, and that's the way it works in the world, okay? Not in Christ, okay? not in Christ. So you have to be careful. Family politics attempt to rule by majority, to apply pressure, to force marriages to conform to what the parents want. Never, that's absolutely wrong. Husbands, you do not let your parents pressure you to do whatever or or to side with them against your wife or vice versa. Remember man leads his father and mother behind and joins himself to his wife they are glued together and they become one flesh the concentric circles there's a space between them they're not touching if you come into my circle I invite you you don't invite yourself no one gets between the two of you no one is placed on a higher level not even your own children wow Your children must know that you love your husband and that you love your wife before them. It's a different love. You don't love your children the way you love your wife or husband. But you let them know that your wife and your husband are the top priority. And that's the only way then your love can be meaningful and effective for your children. Simple. So no one sets up the policies and boundaries but the two of you according to the scriptures. Now the problems by the man's family, let me give you some. Many men never leave mommies and daddies, um, allowing them to run their lives, as I've said. Um, Gentlemen, if you partake with your parents when you go visit, then on the drive home, you're going to end up in a fight. Or it's going to be real, real quiet. Do because you have betrayed your wife with your parents. You've taken your mom's side or your father's side. And when you go home, you're not going to jump in bed with your mom or dad. It's your wife you're going to jump in bed with. You're driving home with her. They will find her faults and they'll use them against her. If your parents talk against your wife, gentlemen, you be the first to confront them lovingly, but immediately. Mom, don't ever talk about my wife. You have a problem, you talk with her directly, right to her face, okay? Don't talk about my wife right now. Real lovingly. Because you let it happen one time. Mommy will just go around the track. They may attempt to interfere with the discipline of your children when you're over. Grandpa may say you will never spank my grandchild in my home. And you say, fine, we're going home. And then you let your dad know, Dad, never interfere with the discipline of my child. He's my son and daughter. Never undermine my authority before my child, please. Wow. Real simple. But the family pressure we give into culture. So we create greater problems, right? Now, again, they may not like it, but it's okay. That's their problem. That's not yours. And you are teaching your children. Parents sometimes or always want to lend the help, sometimes financially, more than you should. If you can do without help from your parents financially, do it. Especially if you're depending on them monthly to give you a check. What's up with that? you shouldn't have got married. I'm amazed about the arrangements people make on how they're going what's gonna happen when they get married. even even in Christians. Well we're gonna live with my parents. You what? Then you shouldn't get married. If you can't marry that woman and provide for her needs, not her greeds but her needs, a roof over her head basic clothes and food and transportation, you don't need to get married. You shouldn't get married. It's real simple. You don't get married planning to live with your parents. A dependency on your parents financially at times leads them to assume that they have more right and authority. Over you. And it becomes harder to say no to them. Because you think well they do help us. It works both ways. At other times it leads to irresponsibility from the man. Since they're providing he gets lazy. Indifferent. Entitled. That makes his wife feel that she can't count on him. A healthy relationship between a marriage and in-laws appreciate what is given out of love by in-laws without intruding and obligating their authority over you so if your in-laws want to bless you with a trip or do something, fine, be gracious about it but to depend on them, for them to give you something because they're going to have authority over you, or right, Mm-mm. it doesn't go and both of you have to be in agreement on this no young lady is good enough for their little boy. You go over and you say, mijo, look, you look a little skinny. Are they feeding you good? You weigh 50 pounds more than when you lived at home. Right? We all know the conversation, right? Mommies have such a hard time letting go of their little boys. Problem is also on the woman's side, family. There are the dads and you know, there's a little girl until this baboon came and took her away. The um, father's always trying to advise the son in law what to do and how to do it, right? You ladies need to step in and say, Dad, you need to back off, please. You protect your husband. Because you know he's being patient, but. You know, he's human, right? If your dad's unaware of it, it will help him in the relationship. He'll value your counsel. If he's proudful and arrogant, that's his problem. And he'll know that you're loyal to your husband, your new authority, your new head, your new home that's good girl's father still feels he has authority over her daughter sometime attempting to usurp the authority of the husband he might tell her "Um, you know we're all going to come over for Thanksgiving you know your brothers and sisters and we're going to have all kinds of people so let me know um, we're going to start at 12 why don't you tell John to be here about 11 o'clock then you need to say, you know, Dad, I don't know if we're gonna make it. I I'm pretty sure we will, but I gotta check with John. What? Yeah, I gotta check with John. He's my head. All the time. Lovingly. But very clear. You're communicating your responsible accountability to your husband who is your head ladies he might use his daughter's love to manipulate her this is probably one of the worst abuses of parental love whether it be on the husband or the wife or the mom or the dad whatever it may be where parents um, use their love to make you feel guilty so you can do whatever they want so that way they're happy and you're all messed up you don't obey your parents When they're unscriptural. You don't do that. You run your marriage according to the scriptures. Again, certain families, they're matriarchal cultures. They manipulate things. Sometimes a lady's father will Center on the husband's fault and use them also, perhaps not being as talented as he is. So he comes over and looks out the window and he says, um, who built that fence, John? He goes, yeah, isn't it good, Dad? He goes, I thought so, pretty crooked to me. Again, we all know the conversation, right? You have to step in, ladies. In other words, you get the message, you defend one another, right? You're there for each other. Not being rude, not being disrespectful, not being angry, but stepping up. Sometimes her father meddles between them in defense of his little princess. Maybe you... Something happens, and you say something, or she says something. Then the dad says, "You'll never talk to my daughter like that." I said, no. "Well, she's my wife." All these things can be avoided. For the fact that no one's good enough for his little princess, right? Daddies have such a hard time letting go of their daughters, and it's hard letting go of your sons. Is a lot easier than a daughter. <laughs> Because, you know, men can defend themselves a little better, right? All of these things are more prone in non-believing parents, but Christian families are not to be excluded. When first saved, I had to tell my dad that he couldn't drink in my house. That was hard. I used to drink with my dad. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? Now, all of a sudden, I'm saved, and I don't want alcohol in my house. Now, when I went to his house, he was drinking a beer, fine. But if I saw my dad was getting drinking a little too much, I'd just say, you know, dad, we're going to leave. I didn't want my children seeing their grandpa drunk. I make those decisions. Not me leaving, not being rude. Not saying, well, I am leaving here. You're drunk, not my kids. No, I don't say that. I respect love my dad. I know what's going on. You got to go, dad. Give me a hug wisdom. But um, it was hard at first, but he got the message and it worked out. Now in no way am I saying that once married, parents are to be disrespected completely or neglected or abandoned. We've already talked a little bit about that, but uh, it's not what we're saying. But what I am saying is the Bible says that they have their place and it's never in your marriage over your mate or family. Never. They come into your inner circle only by permission and in the degree that you allow them as you both agree on that measure of closeness. But also the greatest benefit is to your children who grow up in a home with biblical boundaries by seeing it, hearing it, and you holding to them. You're teaching them how to be a husband, a wife, and the head of your home, and how to run a Christian home. Let me give you some warnings for husbands and wives. Don't join in with your parents in the putting down of your mate. But be part of resolving the problem when it occurs. Don't go to your parents to share any of your problems about your marriage, for once again, they will favor you above your mate. Go to God for your problems together. And then if you can't work it out that way, go to a biblical counselor, meaning a pastor, an elder, or a good friend. I'm not talking about a professional counselor. There's no such thing in the Bible. The Bible says we go to God and we go to each other. Men, do not compare your wife to your mother. You didn't marry your mother. Your wife will fold your socks differently than your mother did. Suck it up it's the way it is, you've changed homes. Women, don't compare your husband to your dad. Again, you didn't marry your dad. Things that have to work out in marriage. One man asked another, what did Adam have that made him the luckiest man in the world? Or what he didn't have and he said, what? He said, in-laws. Once again, why are all those things out there? Because people don't put boundaries and they mess their marriages up, their relationships. You know, man and his wife and mother-in-law went to Israel one time, the holy man. And they were there and on the trip, uh, mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told him, listen. Um, you can have her shipped home for five thousand dollars, but you can have her buried here for about one hundred and fifty dollars. the guy 's thinking about it kind of like Jack Benny. you know your, your money or your life he says well i 'm thinking the guy said um, he 's quiet, and the guy says, what 's the problem? One hundred and fifty right here he says, well, you know you don 't understand you know a few years ago, you guys buried a guy here named Jesus, and he rose from the dead i can 't afford that." How many divorces have taken place because of in-laws meddling into their children's divorces? You would be shocked how many marriages have been destroyed by in-laws. But once again, the one who has allowed it is the husband and the wife, right? You're in control, not your parents. I wonder how many young ladies and young men have allowed their parents to be an authority and influence Being placed on a higher, loyal level than their mates. That's no good. To their own foolishness and regret. If you're a Christian, live your marriage by biblical principles as your parents affirm the scriptures, pray for you, and point you to Christ. If you've got godly parents, you're very, very fortunate. They, they will welcome these boundaries and they will be the first to honor them. Remember, you are to protect your marriage at all costs, being loyal to Christ, then to your mate, being one flesh. And so the circle of relatives is a boundary that must be recognized and respected to ensure harmony in the marriage. The third. Circle is the circle of husbands and wives. The circle is the inner circle, the bullseye, if you will. Um, The people in this circle are husband and wife and children. The father is the head of the family, not a despot, but a type of Christ. The mother is the complement of the father with fully delegated authority from him in his absence. Do not allow the children to manipulate or move you by your emotions, ladies. When your husband is gone and the kids get in trouble, you must promise that you will be a snitch. Because if you don't, then you're teaching your children that you're more loyal to them than your husband. Let him be the head and deal with the children and the discipline. Now, you're at home alone. You deal with what you have to. But when he gets home, you're going to tell him. It's real simple. One time my son did some stuff and you know, he's got his friends over there. And they said, "Ah, oh, Mrs. Reese, you're cool. You're not going to tell X's dad, are you? She goes, no, you're right. I'm not going to tell him. X is going to tell him. Real simple, avoid many problems. The mother is the complement of the father, fully delegated authority in his absence. The Children are under the authority of both parents. The sooner they understand that disobedience has consequences, the sooner your house will run smoother and the more behaviour your children will be. Promise. An unhappy child makes for an unhappy home. The inner circle is protected at all times, and no one gets into this circle without the permission of the head. You, your wife, and your children. Both husband and wife pray and decide who's allowed in, who is not, but should be looking for the people who will enhance their spirituality, their family matters, and all of that. Important decisions. The children are not allowed by either parent to enter the inner circle of husband and wife to disrupt their oneness. Now, I'm not talking about not meeting their needs or the help they need. These are basic. I'm talking about parents allowing the children to pit them against each other or to always be allowed to just interrupt disrespectfully or when you are talking about something, you do not. You correct your child. Because if not, when you take them out in public, they're going to be little savages. It's real simple. When I was out in public, my brothers and sisters, all my dad had to do is just, look, just an eye. The Bible says, God says, I will guide you with my eye. That means you have to have your eye on them. Okay? Some kids, you give them a nine, they go, "Why you want me? Come on!" Yeah, they don't care. Are you kidding today? Bad parenting. To take their sides by accusing or disrespecting the other parent is awfully, awfully bad. Ladies, never tell your children they got to tweak dad. I don't know what's wrong with you, Dad. I don't know what's wrong with you. Be careful. If children know, they can divide you. Both you're dead, and you will regret it, and it'll become bitterness between you. Discuss the matter together, then come as one with your children when there's difficulties. You don't agree on something. You discuss it apart from the children. You state your case. You come to conclusion. You both come before the children. This is what we've decided. They know you're one. And sometimes you're not going to agree on everything. But your husband has to make that final decision, Ladies. You have to stand by him. The setting up and protecting of these three circles will enhance and blossom your sexual relationship. If you don't set these boundaries, they will sooner or later affect your intimacy. Snapping at each other and pointing fingers, accusing and excusing one another will be the pattern. The sexual oneness is the result of being loyal, truthful, secure, and protective of each other, honoring one another. The sexual oneness is approved by God in marriage. It is a privilege, a gift. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1.28. Paul told the Corinthians that each man should have his own wife and there should be so there would be no sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The author to the Hebrews says that the marriage is honorable and a bit undefiled in Hebrews 13.4. Don't go share with anyone about your sexual intimacy or joke about it. With anyone. Today it's, it's a very corrupt, Perverted society, tweaked sense of humor. Sharing these things humiliates, dishonors, and will anger one's mate. Do you begin the day with a loving attitude and loving disposition when you leave the home? Do you call her during the day, gentlemen? Do you help her when you get home? We think we're Don Juan's when we're ready to go to bed. But if we haven't done any of these, not considering her, the last thing she wants is Don Juan. We have to put on the mind of Christ. The Song of Solomon speaks of the honeymoon night. The mind of Christ in Philippians 2.5 serving others. The Israelites would not allow anybody to read the Song of Solomon until 30 years old. It's the sex manual. The honeymoon night. Rejoicing. Today, young people are being taught that they are mere extensions of the animal kingdom. So you have people that are, young people that are more corrupt than anything else today before they even enter their 20s. Even their 18th birthday, having nothing to look forward to. The sexual relationship is not one-sided, but mutual pleasure and satisfaction often the burden is placed on the woman. At times, the woman is not taken into consideration. Submission is mutual in the sexual relationship, Paul says in First Corinthians seven one through3. In fact, he he puts the emphasis on the husband's submission in 1 Corinthians 7 to his wife. And sex should never be used as a tool to manipulate or punish one's mate. Paul said that they were not to defraud one another, except for by consent. For time of prayer, that you want to say, you want to seek the Lord. You don't have to worry about God not honoring your prayer. You say, you know, hon, I want to seek the Lord for two, three days, and. You know, just pray and this matter fine. So this way, you know, if she wanted to have relationships with you, you you don't you don't. Oh, and then they get all mad. No, you need to not communicate. Just make sure you don't try to set a world record. It's going to be a month or two or a year. No way. It says by consent. <laughs> okay, common sense, lest you be tempted by the devil. Whenever you deny each other for long periods of time, it is not healthy, and um, it's the devil's workshop. Sex involves a spiritual union, not just a physical one. First Corinthians six, sixteen through eighteen tells us the union is a spiritual one, the very deep bond that experiences between a husband and wife, the physical is just a physical. And in that context, the first Corinthians six, sixteen through eighteen is talking about the Corinthians who are going to the temple of the prostitutes and being one with them sexually. Okay? The physical is the vehicle, but there's a spiritual union that goes on. Far beyond. You're making the members of Christ one with that hearted, he said. Let me give you some reminders, ladies. Remember, you are moved by what you feel. Your husband is moved by what he sees. Do you keep yourself up physically, ladies? Or have you stopped trying? Now, no one is forever young, so we need to adjust to gravity and age. Reality. Yet no one has the right to not try or do their part, right? Do you go to bed with flannels, ladies? Do you um, put on sweat and say, Here I come! (laughs) Do you communicate with your husband your feelings? Your husband needs to know what's going on with you, how you feel. Now, I'm not talking about using your emotions and feelings to manipulate him or work him. No. No. And certainly I'm not talking about using sex to get your way with him. If you need a pair of shoes or purse or something, not what I'm talking about. Do you try to please him in your dress? I'm not talking about being seductive or perverted or anything. But do you fix yourself up? Remember how you fix yourself up when you used to date him. Then you men, remember you're moved by what you see and your wife is moved by what she feels. Do you realize her needs for affection apart from sex? Do you realize she needs your presence for strength and stability? Are you affectionate to her when it is in bedtime or only at bedtime? Sometimes all she wants is a good hug. And to hear, "Hun, I love you. Thanks for everything. Your children need to see you being affectionate with your wife. They're listening, they're seeing, they're learning. You communicate to her your love and appreciation. So I told her when I got married. When's that? 20 years ago. Hmm. Write her a card. Give her a call. You shave and brush your teeth before you go to bed. If you're a plumber, do you shower before you go to bed? Practical. Simple. Don't be insensitive to each other. If you are, you will be headed for trouble. By the way, you're teaching your kids again what it is to be a husband and a wife and a friend. Don't let the romance go out. Listen to Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 7. It says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, this is romantic language. Okay, for those days. Going down the mountains, Gilead, nice and clean and healthy. Your teeth are like flocks of shorn sheep. In other words, you're not missing any. Which uh, have come up from the washing. Every one of them bears twins and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, strong, firm, no wrinkles. Built for an armory (laughs) on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelles, which... Feet among the lilies until the day breaks and the sh- shadows flee away. I will go to my way to the mounds of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Do I need to put a commentary on that? <laughs> God approves of sex and marriage. Listen drink waters from your own cisterns and running waters from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad streams of waters in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times, and always be enraptured with her love. Proverbs five, fifteen through nineteen. The orchestra is in full swing, the conductors and ship whipping himself in a frenzy and zeal and enthusiasm, but one. Who is this person that's approaching him? It is the member of the orchestra, the one who plays the little triangle. He is speaking to the conductor. Excuse me, do you mind if I go home now? I've come to the end of my part and score. What a perfect picture of a mate, more interested in the marriage relationship and intimacy for themselves and not the other, also. Sexual intimacy, ladies and gentlemen, is a result of being Christ-like from morning throughout the day till you go to bed. The blessing of God is between a man and a woman and in the institution of marriage. The proposed alternate lifestyles of homosexuality, lesbianism, and any other form is ungodly, and God prohibits it, and he doesn't bless it. The solution in our immorality of today is not to pass out condoms for students, but to tell them to substain until marriage because they're going to destroy their lives sexual intimacy is an, uh, an entrusting of oneself completely to the other being confident that love is the motive and commitment behind it for life the result being oneness of having children after the image and likeness of both parents the reason being that god desires to have a godly offspring malachi 2:15 says Sexual intimacy will be hindered whenever your accounts are not kept up to date. Unresolved issues of the past hinder both of you. Resentment and bitterness results in anger, desire to hurt each other, vengeance. Be truthful about the issues that need to be resolved. Do not lie. Do not tell half-truths, contradictions. Otherwise, your mate will Not be able to believe what you do say. Do not resort to bringing up past things if you resolve them. If you haven't resolved them, resolve them under the blood of Christ. Sexual intimacy is cultivated indirectly by a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Passion for my Lord will keep me in love with him. Passion for my Lord will be a carryover to my passion for my bride. My wife. Passion for my bride will keep me pleasing my Lord, loving her as Christ the church and her responding to me. You see, the inner circle of husband and wife boundaries must exist to flourish and mature the oneness and intimacy in marriage. And so, these are important boundaries that will ensure harmony and growth and oneness in our marriage and home. The lack of them will ensure destruction. The circle of friends is a boundary that must be set for healthy oneness in marriage. The circle of relatives is a boundary that must be recognized and respected to ensure harmony in marriage. And the inner circle of husband and wife boundaries must exist to flourish and mature the oneness and intimacy in marriage. It's all in the book. (laughs) It's all in the book God gave us. One flesh. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We so thank you. Lord, I pray you deal with our hearts and help us in our marriages as we look to you. I lift every couple to you. You would bless them. Speak to their hearts, Lord, and cause us to glorify you in all things. the Lord, we would become more like you each day. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God has brought you here to be saved, to turn from your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. Then the simple principle of this Teaching is that God wants to be your husband. Jesus says that you cannot wear a white gown. You're a sinner. Sin separates you from him. But that he died to be able to give you that gown and to make you his bride. And to make you whiter than snow. So that you can depend on him. And he says he's going to come back for you and marry you. So that's the first step if you're not born again. To open your heart to him that he might forgive you and save you. If that's where you're at. This is your prayer to him as you repent of your sins. And he will engage himself to you. You can repeat. it: Father I come to you in Jesus name. I ask you to forgive me Lord for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.